To be loved and accepted is one of the most basic of human needs. We need to be loved, to be cared for, to be wanted, to belong, to be infused with a sense of worth and purpose. And we're going to meet a person today who has been shut out from the rest of human society through no fault of his own. He has lived a lonely, loveless life, avoided and even hated by others, and without any hope of that ever changing for him. That is, until he meets Jesus Christ, who profoundly changes his life. As a recap of our study of the Gospel of Matthew up to this point, Matthew began his account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ way back in Matthew chapter 1 by presenting us with the family tree of Jesus in which we learn that Jesus is the Messiah for all of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we have done, he has come to save us all. Matthew then tells us about the birth and the early childhood of Jesus. And then the ministry of John the Baptist, whose mission was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And then the tempting and testing of Jesus in the desert wilderness by Satan. Then, the early days of Jesus' public ministry, including the calling of his very first disciples to follow him. And then after all of that... Matthew gives us a summary of the ministry of Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 4. He says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In this summary, Matthew first mentions the teaching of Jesus and then the many miracles of healing and other acts of mercy and kindness that Jesus was doing. Matthew then presents... An extended teaching of Jesus, which has come to be called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew introduces that teaching section this way in Matthew 5.1. He says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And then follows the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teaching continues to the end of Matthew chapter 7. And then the first verse of Matthew 8 says this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So, Jesus went up on a mountainside to begin his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus has come down the mountainside where large crowds of people are gathering around him. This marks the beginning of the next major part of Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And that's what we are entering into today. After giving us an extended section of Jesus' teaching, Matthew is now going to give us examples, many examples, of Jesus healing every disease and sickness among the people, as he said. So flip over to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll begin looking at this first story. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And in verse 2 it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a term used in the Bible to refer to several different 
kinds of diseases affecting the skin. But the most common of these diseases and the most feared was, is known today as Hansen's disease, which is named after the man who discovered the bacteria that causes it. Leprosy was one of the most dreaded and feared diseases in the ancient world, not just because of the awful pain and disfigurement that the person experienced, but also because of the incredible social stigma attached to it and the psychological trauma that a person suffered from that social stigma. Leprosy was considered a life sentence if you contracted the disease. There was no known cure for it at that time. The cause and cure of, the, of leprosy wouldn't even be discovered really until the 1870s. The disease in its more advanced form includes severe aching in the person's joints and limbs, numbness of their extremities, the skin of the person discolored in patches, nodules and bumpy masses would develop on the skin both on the outside and on the inside, in the nasal passages and in the throat. It could become difficult for a person to even breathe and eat because of these nodules that would develop inside of their throat and in their nasal passages. The skin was often covered with ulcers like boils, which became badly infected. The loss of fingers and toes could happen. The disfigurement of the face with the loss of the cartilage inside of your nose that would deteriorate and be destroyed. And even blindness could take place in a person. It was a terrible, horrible disease. The physical appearance and the disfigurement of a person with leprosy could be very disturbing and repulsive for the person who would encounter them. As mentioned a moment ago, the suffering of a person with leprosy in, that they endured was not only this physical part of the disease, but the psychological and emotional suffering to people with leprosy were social outcasts of the most extreme kind in the ancient world. There is really nothing in our culture that compares with what these people went through. You may have heard of leper colonies, which were these remote places where people with leprosy would have to live separated off from the rest of the society. The law of Moses required a person with leprosy to live outside of the camp or the town away from other people. They were required to wear torn clothes, uh, keep their hair unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever they were anywhere that other people might be, as a warning for them. This person would remain unclean until the disease was cured, which usually meant their entire life since there was no cure for the leprosy. The way a person with leprosy was expected to dress and to behave in public places was really the equivalent of them carrying around a warning sign which let others know that they were to be avoided. Stay away from me. Don't come into contact with me. Now, leprosy can be contagious under the right conditions with prolonged, with prolonged close contact. A popular belief at the time held that leprosy was highly contagious. So combine that with the social stigma attached to the disease and the scary look that these people 
were required to have and what the disease would do to their appearance, you can imagine the fear that the presence of a person with leprosy could cause in the general population. People were terrified of those with, with leprosy. And as is commonly the case with this kind of thing, that fear quickly turned to hatred. These poor people who were suffering from this terrible disease were feared and they were hated by the general populace. In Luke's account of this story, this man here is described as full of leprosy or covered with leprosy, which implies that he was suffering from a severe case of the disease. Instead of keeping his distance from Jesus as the law of Moses required and as social expectations demanded, this man, he comes up to Jesus, he prostates himself before him, and he begs Jesus to heal him. This is a very dangerous thing for this man to do. He's breaking some of the most emotionally charged social taboos in existence at the time. How would Jesus respond to him? What would the people around Jesus do? Well, it shows the desperation of this man. Have you ever been so desperate for a solution to your problem that you were willing to risk your life to get it? That's the kind of desperation that this man has. He's willing to go to any lengths to be cured. It didn't matter to him at this point if this crowd stoned him to death for exposing them to this disease. He had to try to get to Jesus. Look what the man says to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He has no doubts about Jesus' ability to heal him. But he wonders if Jesus is willing to heal him. He's been shunned, rejected, scorned, devalued, hated all of his life by other people. Will Jesus treat him the same way? Will Jesus accept him or turn him away? Will Jesus show him kindness and compassion? Or will Jesus be more concerned about his own personal well-being and reputation than this man's needs? He doesn't know. His words echo a common feeling that we can have about God too. It's easier for us to believe in God's power than to believe in God's mercy. Few of us doubt that an all-powerful God can perform any act imaginable. That's the very definition of all-powerful. An all-powerful God can do anything. If he spoke the universe into existence, he can certainly handle any of the problems in my personal life. But we have a harder time believing that God is willing to do it for us. Does he really care about me? Does God really love me? Is God willing to help me? And the answer to those questions is yes. God's answer to you and me is the same answer that Jesus gives to this man. Jesus says to him, I am willing in the next verse. And God says to you and me, I am willing. I am willing. And that help is not wrenched out of God. He gives it to us with a willing heart and with a smile on his face. He loves to help us. 
Do you remember we talked about this last time when we looked at what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11? Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The Lord doesn't always answer our requests the way we think he should, though. We talked a little bit about this last time, but we'll talk about it again today, too. Why? Why doesn't he always answer us exactly the way we want him to? Well, he sees what we don't. He's able to look way down the road and see the future. He has a higher good in mind for us than we do. He knows what we really need. He knows what can destroy us and what is safe for us to have and not have. He has the wisdom and the foresight to deny us short-term gratification for the sake of future glorification. Maybe I should say that again. He has the wisdom and foresight to deny us short-term gratification for the sake of future glorification. If a three-year-old child asks you if she could drive your car, you would say no. Why? Because a three-year-old child can't handle driving a car safely. They or someone else is going to get hurt if they're allowed to drive the car. The Lord is a responsible father. He won't just give us anything we ask for. He won't give us things that will harm us, no matter how badly we want them. He won't give us things we're not ready for, no matter how badly we want them. Sometimes when we ask for something from the Lord and we receive a no answer, it's because it's something that would harm us. Sometimes when we receive a no answer, it's because we're not ready for that thing yet. Sometimes he says no because he's teaching us something or maturing us in some way. It's for our future glory that he has said no. We need to trust the Lord as much when he says no to us as when he says yes to us. Both answers come from a Heavenly Father that loves us more than we can know. Verse 3 says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now Jesus, he didn't have to touch this man to heal him. He could have merely spoken the word and healed him. In the very next story that we will be looking at in Matthew 8, Verse 5 through 13, Jesus heals a person without ever even seeing them. He doesn't even see this person, and he heals them. Obviously, touching this man was not required for Jesus to heal him. No one would be so reckless as to touch a person with leprosy in those days for a couple of reasons. First, the, pers- the people were afraid of contracting the disease themselves if they touched someone with leprosy. 
And second, the Jewish religious law said that anyone who touched another person who was ceremonially unclean, like a person with leprosy, would also become ceremonially unclean themselves, which would prevent them from participating in most of Jewish social and religious life. But Jesus, he reaches out and he touches this man. I'm sure those who were watching thought that touching this man was a very foolish and reckless thing for Jesus to do. But he does it anyway. Why does Jesus touch this man? I believe Jesus touches him to express his love and compassion for him. See, Jesus not only addresses this man's physical need for healing, but also his psychological and emotional need for healing. This man probably couldn't remember the last time he had been touched by another human being. And we cry about wearing masks. But Jesus touches him. He lays his hands on him and he says, I am willing. Be clean. Jesus understood this man's deep need for love and acceptance. And he meets that need in the most powerful, personal, meaningful way imaginable for him. He touches him. Imagine the psychological impact it would have had on this man if Jesus had said, hey, 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 stand back. Don't get too close to me. Don't you realize who I am? I'm the Messiah. I'm holy. I'm sacred. Don't touch me and contaminate me. You're healed. Now, be gone. Show yourself to the priest. Jesus didn't do it that way. He touches him. And I don't think Jesus cautiously, tentatively, standoffishly touched him. To minimize contact, I think Jesus tenderly and confidently lifted this poor, broken human being up from his groveling position in the dirt and drew him close and he said, be clean. What a profound and moving experience this must have been for this man as he hears those words spoken to him by Jesus, and he looks down at his once disfigured hands, and he sees them instantly healed. He reaches up and touches his face, and he feels smooth, healthy, new skin, where there had been these bumpy masses and ulcerous sores. God has reached out and he's touched this sin-broken world through his son Jesus Christ to meet our great need, to heal us of our spiritual leprosy and to demonstrate to us that we're loved and accepted by him. God could have taken a standoffish approach with us, but he didn't. He could have simply just pulled back the heavens and spoken to us about our situation. Said, be healed. Instead, he became one of us. 
He became one of us. He touched us. In the person of Jesus Christ to communicate his love for us in the most powerful, personal, intimate, meaningful way he possibly could. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, he lived with us. Verse 4 says, Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So Jesus gives this man clear instructions to not tell anyone, but to go and show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifices for cleansing that are specified in the law of Moses as a testimony to the priest. The, priests, the procedures to be followed are found in Leviticus 14. Well, why does Jesus tell him to do this? Well, one, it's what the law of God given through Moses stated was to be done when a person was cleansed from leprosy. Jesus is obeying the law of God, and he wants this man to obey it too. If he goes this way, then the priest can declare this man officially clean, which will allow him to formally re-enter society. Jesus wants this man's healing to be a testimony, it says, a witness, a proof to the priest of the reality of the healing power of Jesus as Messiah. This would be an official acknowledgement of the miraculous healing that has taken place. Why did Jesus not want this man to tell people what happened? He could tell afterwards, but he was to go to the priest first, do what he told him to do, the way Jesus told him to do it. Well, the answer is found in the parallel account of this story over in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 145, we're given this additional piece of information. Right after Jesus told him, don't tell anyone, but go to the priests. It says in Mark 145, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result... Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. He caused trouble for Jesus' ministry, didn't he? See, unwanted popularity could be dangerous and a distraction away from Jesus' real ministry here. People would see, and they did see Jesus merely as a miracle worker, relieving physical suffering, but missing his teaching and the greater mission he had as Messiah coming to rescue us from our spiritual suffering and lostness. People would see Jesus and did see Jesus as a political Messiah who had come to liberate them from their Roman oppressors. Again, missing his true mission as Messiah coming to liberate us from our spiritual bondage and lostness. 
I think it's instructive for us to take note that this man's disobedience causes trouble for the mission of Jesus. And the question that comes up is, what kind of trouble does my disobedience and your disobedience cause for the mission of Jesus? I'm sure this man was bursting with excitement over his healing. He wants to tell everyone he sees about what Jesus has done for him. From his vantage point, he's wondering, why not tell everyone? I mean, this is big news. I'm not sure you get the gravity of this, Jesus. You've healed me of this terrible disease. But that's not what Jesus told him to do. And he needed to trust Jesus and obey him. The Lord knows things that we don't. He has an agenda that we may not always understand. We're better off obeying the Lord and trusting Him rather than charging down the road following our own lead. Tells us to do things a particular way. We should do things the way he says. Amen. He knows what he's doing better than we do. In closing, fortunately, I don't need to read this. The paper Bible. But to those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want us to take note of how Jesus treats this man. This man was shunned by society. He, they, they wanted nothing to do with him. He was not even seen as a human being by most people. But Jesus looked beyond external appearances to the human being. He looked at the lonely, hurting man, and he reached out and he touched him. He loves this man, no matter what he looks like. And Jesus is our example, obviously. We need to have the same kind of heart and eyes that Jesus does for the people that we encounter. We pray, help us, Lord, to see people the way you do. Help us look past what we see with our natural eyes and see the person who needs love. Jesus wants to touch your life and heal you of your spiritual leprosy, whatever that might be. We can feel like a leper. Our sense of guilt, our failures, our loneliness, our feelings of inadequacy, of not measuring up, of not belonging. Our sin separates us from God and others and ourselves. But it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what labels have been put on you. If you'll come to him, like this man did, and ask Jesus to touch you, he will help. 
He's willing and he wants to touch your life. He loves you and he cares about you. Jesus wants to lift you up out of the dirt and say, I'm willing. Be clean. Be whole. Be mine. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to touch us, to hold us, to rescue us, to lift us up out of the mud and the mire of our life and set us on the firm foundation. I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, that you would encourage them, you would lift them up, that you would renew them, Lord, that you would remind them of how much you love them. And Lord, we pray that we would learn the, the lesson of this man, that we would obey you, whether we understand why you're telling us to do things a certain way or not, that we would trust you and we would obey you. Bless your people in Jesus' name.